Good morning, church. <laughs> Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well. Hi, Mom. My name is Lara, and I'm on staff here at Emmanuel. This past year, I had the opportunity to lead a group of ladies uh, through the entire book of Acts. We began in September, and we completed the book in mid-March. And this is a fairly intense course that we do. It requires four to five hours of homework each week, and then we meet every Tuesday evening to discuss what we have learned and how we can apply it to our lives. If my math is correct, and it actually might not be because math isn't my strong point, but I've thought about this a lot. If my math is correct, each one of us who put in the time uh, from September to mid-March to work through this book of Acts put in over 100 hours of study time into this book. So when Kyle asked me a month or two ago if I would be willing to share a little bit of what we learned in this book, I was really excited and actually completely freaked out. So here I am today, really excited to share with you and still completely freaked out. But I want to... Uh, share with you some of the insights that we had gleaned as a group of ladies studying this uh, through our friend Philip. We're continuing on from what Todd had preached with us last, last week. He began Acts chapter 8, and we're going to finish Acts chapter 8 uh, today. But before we jump in, I want you to journey back in time with me to when you first heard the gospel. Who told you about Jesus? If you grew up in a Christian home, it may have been your parents, maybe grandparents. Maybe you heard about Jesus in Sunday school. Maybe it was at summer camp or at youth group. Maybe you're just hearing about Jesus for the first time today. Who brought you here? For me, it was my best friend, Toby. You see... I grew up in a wonderful home with two loving parents and two younger brothers. We lived on a beautiful acreage in Mount Lehman where my parents had built their dream home. We took wonderful vacations. We shared many wonderful memories with grandparents and friends and cousins. I lived a very idyllic childhood. But when I hit high school, I soon realized that the world was much bigger I heard swear words for the first time. My peers were, were drinking and smoking. And I was being introduced to all sorts of destructive behaviors, including some very toxic relationships. I had nothing to hold on to. You see, I was born and raised with parents who would have Christian values and morals but I wasn't born and raised in a Christian home. I had nothing to believe in. I had nothing to hope for. I had nothing to put my faith in. I began making some very poor life decisions. I was no longer a sweet, innocent girl from the country. I became really mean and rude and disrespectful. I said terrible things to people. My language was horrendous. I stopped caring about the people around me. And I began only to care about myself. 
I craved attention. And those who gave me the attention certainly did not have my best interests at heart. By grade nine, I was on a very slippery slope to disaster. But during my idyllic childhood years, God placed a Christian family across the street from us. They so happened to have a daughter who was roughly my age and a son who was roughly one of my brother's ages. And her moms became very close friends. And their daughter became one of my best friends. She still is to this day. This is, this is her and I. Um, I don't know how old I would have been, 12 maybe, 11 or 12. Uh, this is Toby and, and myself. Uh, over the years, we would spend a lot of time at her house. And while I was at her house, I was introduced to worship music. I was into, introduced to praying before meals. We would have sleepovers. Her mom would come and pray with us before bed. Uh, we even played baptism because they had a beautiful pool. And, and as kids, <laughs> she would always want to baptize me. <laughs> um, so during these times together, my friend Toby would often try and share Jesus with me in a very sweet, simple way. And I remember it so well on so many different occasions. She would simply say things like this, God created us, we sinned, and we need a Savior. And God sent Jesus to save us. If we accept Jesus as our Savior, our sins will be forgiven, and we'll get to spend eternity in heaven. Although I heard this from her as a child, I never took the step to accept Jesus. So when grade nine hit, my friend Toby really had no idea what to do with me. She didn't know how to handle this big change in me. I tried pushing her away, but she was always faithful and patient with me. She began inviting me to her youth group, and I continually declined the invite. The last thing I needed was a bunch of people telling me how terrible I was, and I certainly didn't believe what they believed, um, but she never gave up on me. Every Tuesday, the phone would ring, and she would call, and she's like, are you coming with me? And I was like, no, no, sorry, not today, I'm busy, not today. Every single Tuesday. Finally, I gave in. I was like, fine, yes, let's go, let's go. And honestly, it was just to get her off my back. So I went. I spent that first night in that church in utter disbelief and complete confusion. First of all, everyone was so nice to me, like really nice. They didn't even know me. They were just, they were so nice. They didn't ask me if I smoked. I really tried to watch my language. Uh, they didn't ask me to do anything I felt uncomfortable doing, like praying. Um, in fact, the weird thing to me was there was so much laughter and happiness. Everyone was so happy. I didn't understand everything that was being taught. I didn't understand the music, but I was very intrigued. I didn't think teenagers lived like this. So when my friend asked me to go again the next week, I said yes. Tuesday evening soon became my very favorite time of the week. There were nights where I felt safe. I felt loved. I felt cared for. I wasn't being pressured into doing anything I didn't want to do. Shortly after my 15th birthday, I had two youth leaders come up to me after church, or after youth that night, and they asked me, would you like 
to pray with us and accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? I said, yes. I didn't fully know what I was saying yes to, if I'm being completely honest. But I did know this. I wanted more than anything this joy and hope that the other youth had. And I knew that through a personal relationship with Jesus, I could have it. So that night, nearly 30 years ago, I repented from my sin and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior in my life. So when I think about who is around me, who evangelized to me, and who led me to Christ, I think about my friend Toby. I think about her family. I think about my youth leaders. And I think about the other youth who would bravely share their stories of how God worked in their life, their testimonies. They were all evangelists. God used each one of them. One of the things I do at the beginning of each of our precept classes this is our Tuesday night uh, inductive study class, uh, is a super quick review. It's important for us to know the context in which the passage or chapter we're studying is in. So I thought this morning we would do a quick review of where we've come since we started studying the book of Acts. So we'll do a quick review here. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. That's right. And the book was likely written between AD 61 and 64. We're going to go super quick through each chapter, really, really quick. It'll be up on the screen. So if you missed a Sunday, this is your chance to catch up. All right. Chapter one, we have Jesus with his disciples and he is about to send to heaven. Acts chapter one, verse eight is a key verse for the whole book of Acts. This is where Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 2, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter gives an anointed and prophetic sermon, and about 3,000 souls are added to the church that day. Signs and wonders follow. Acts 3, Peter and John are used by God to heal a lame man at Beautiful Gate. Do you remember that? Kyle preached about that in June, I think. Here we see Peter preaching. More people believe in Acts chapter 4. More people believe the word and are added to the church. The church is growing. Peter and John are arrested. They radiate the boldness of Christ. Verse 31 tells us, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Chapter 5, we met Ananias and Sapphira. They lie to Peter and to the Holy Spirit, and as a result, we see that they fall down dead. The apostles uh, continue to display signs and wonders. The sick and those oppressed by evil spirits are healed, verse 16 tells us, and the apostles are arrested and released from prison by an angel. Acts 6, we meet Stephen. He's full of faith and power, and he does great wonders and signs among people. Acts 7, we see Stephen preaching, and then he's stoned. 
as he's taking his last breath, he sees Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. Jesus is standing, welcoming him in to heaven. And he becomes the first martyr. Acts 8. Last week, we had a glimpse into the life of Philip where we see him fleeing Jerusalem. And where is he going? What did Acts chapter 1 verse 8 say? He goes to Samaria where, where he meets Simon the sorcerer. And Simon is saved. And Peter and John also go to Samaria to preach. And the Holy Spirit falls on people. So here we are today at the second half of Acts chapter 8. Let's read this passage together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'll get you to open up to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. It's also up here on the screen. Let's read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And his, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I? unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. As we dive into this passage, let's keep in mind some facts that we know about Philip. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, he was installed as a deacon. And he was full of the Spirit. Being in touch with the Holy Spirit, Philip was open to the Spirit's direction. The Spirit first directed Philip through persecution in Jerusalem to leave his ministry and go to Samaria for a much wider ministry. In verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Philip is being led by an angel, as, and as Philip was busy ministering in Samaria, he heard the Spirit speak, and he obeyed. God was calling him out into the desert, away from the crowds. I find this so interesting, that Philip does not even question this. Why would God take him out of Samaria, where he's preaching, 
to lots of people where he's seen people come to Christ and then pull him out of that and take him to a desert. He doesn't question. He simply obeys. It says he rose and went. He didn't think about why God would ask him to do this. He just simply obeyed and remained open to God's leading. As we continue in verse 27, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. This Ethiopian man, who would be from modern-day Sudan, was an important official to Candace. She was the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. This guy had a lot of influence. He was in Israel to worship the Lord at the temple, which means he was probably a Jewish proselyte, converted to Judaism. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Before we continue on, I want us again to take a look at how Philip responded to the spirit's leading. When the spirit told Philip to go over to the chariot, Philip's response was to run. If you have a Bible, I love marking up my Bible. If you have a Bible, maybe circle that word run. He ran to the chariot. He didn't know what was awaiting him there. He didn't know what was, what was in that chariot. He didn't know. God was just simply giving him one step at a time. He didn't know the end game. But he heard the Spirit and he obeyed and he listened. I love this complete trust that Philip has in the Spirit. I want to have that complete trust in the Spirit. few months ago, I was getting my nails done. Now, this isn't something I normally do, but it was for a special occasion. As I was sitting there getting my nails done, I was chatting to the lady who was doing them, and I felt the Holy Spirit whisper on my heart that I was to give her a generous tip. I thought, okay, okay, I can, I can tip her well, tip her well. But as her session continued, and I continued to learn more about this lady. She had, she had a son in grade five who was going off to middle school. And she was a little concerned about what that would look like. But as she kept, she kept telling me more and more about her life, I felt the spirit telling me stronger and stronger, you need to give her more than just a generous tip. You need to give her an amount of money that she would question why. I felt like the spirit was telling me to give her $100 on top of my $35 manicure. And I was like, $100? That's a, that's a lot of money. Oh, I sat there and I went back and forth with the Lord. She's doing my nails. And I thought, God, $100? Why? She hasn't told me any, anything that would make me believe that she's in need of this money. Why? Why $100? What would Joel think of me just giving her $100? <laughs> Actually, to be honest, Joel wouldn't care. <laughs> I wrestled with God for the remainder of our time together. And as I walked up to pay, I honestly did not know how I was going to respond. I was, it was such a wrestle for me. Such a wrestle. I get up there, 
and someone else was, was helping me with payment, and I was handed the credit machine, and I looked at my options, and there were, there were two or three tip options. There was no option for $100, but there were some tip options, and I thought, you know, I'll give the most generous tip, which was nowhere near $100. So, so I did that, handed back the machine, momentarily, very momentarily, feeling like I've done what I've told to do. I, I gave a generous tip. I walked out to my car with such a heaviness. I sat in my car and I thought, Lara, you got to go back in. You got to go back in. The Holy Spirit told me $100, $100. And I sat there and I was like, I can't go back in. That would just be weird. My pride, my pride took over. I was too embarrassed. I didn't, I didn't want it to be weird or awkward. So I, I drove away and I thought what too often I think when I disobey the Lord, I think, you know, this will pass. This feeling will pass. You know, you know how you sin and you're just like, oh, it feels gross right now, but it'll go away. It'll go away. It'll go away. It'll go away. Three weeks later, I had to go back to get my nail polish taken off. And I thought, this is my time. This is my chance to redeem myself. I'll go in. I've been working myself up. I go in. I sit down. I get a different lady, and I'm scanning the nail place. I'm looking for my lady, and she's nowhere. And I, di I didn't get her name, and I, I keep looking the whole time. I was probably just kind of rude to the lady actually doing my nails because I wasn't being very conversationalist. And I was just like, where's my lady? Where's my lady? And she wasn't there. And I left. I, I, never, I never found her again. I missed a chance to make a difference in someone's life. I missed a chance to share Jesus with someone. You know what the hardest thing about this is for me? Every morning I wake up and I ask God for opportunities to share Jesus with people. I ask him every day, God, bring people into my life who need to know about you. God, give me, give me the boldness that, that Peter had to share you with others. I want it. I ask for it. And God gave it to me. And I didn't obey. So my first point today is this. When the Spirit speaks, let's obey. I share this with you. To hold me accountable. Can you imagine if everyone here, when we heard the Spirit speak to us, we obeyed? Can you imagine what we would look like as a church? I was so, I was so encouraged with this last fall when we studied this. How soon I forget. How soon I forget about Philip. 
All right, let's, let's look at this Ethiopian eunuch and how he came to Christ. First of all, from above, we see sovereign God. He's working in man's heart in such a way that after making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he remains spiritually hungry. He wants more. He's reading a scroll from Isaiah as he's traveling across the desert in his chariot. And here we see him encountering a spirit-sent ambassador of Christ. We see him encountering Philip, who leads him to the Savior. From ground level, from where we are, we, we see the role of human obedience. Would the eunuch have been saved even if Philip disobeyed? I think the question is irrelevant. God chooses human obedience to carry out his plan, but exactly how and who he uses is really incidental. I'll just continue. So we have Philip remembering he's running to the eunuch. He's running to the chariot. The eunuch is reading, and Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch's response is this, how can I? unless someone explains it to me. So Philip is invited into the chariot and joins him. The passage he was reading is this. It's from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before a shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth, and the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The question from the eunuch leads Philip to preach the gospel from the scripture. Philip was so much in tune with the Spirit and God's word that what came out next came naturally to him. No doubt Philip took the man through all 12 verses of Isaiah 53, describing at first his royal lineage, the incarnation, the vicarious atonement. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, in his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm sure Philip explained about the suffering, the resurrection of the Messiah. And what he said was clearly life-changing to this Ethiopian man. So the second point I see in this passage is this. We are to know the word of God. As believers, we should be able to explain Christ through the scriptures. Here at Emmanuel, this is one of our values. And it's so important that we offer a variety of ways for you to study the scripture and grow deeper in your relationship and understanding, relationship with God and understanding of the scripture. We have community groups. Starting up this fall, we gather together weekly and we discuss and grow in knowledge and understanding of the Bible. These groups are often where you'll find community and connection and the opportunity to serve together, encourage one another, and celebrate what God is doing in our lives. Along with community groups, we, we offer courses for women like Precept. We're going to be starting the book of Luke this fall. Uh, we have men's ministry that does a Bible study on Tuesday mornings. Uh, we're looking at offering Alpha as well. 
come talk to me. This is, this is part of my job here, is to get you plugged in, to get you connected. If you're not part of a group, come see me. I'd love to help you. We also have micro groups if you want a little smaller group. There's so many great things going on. I'd love to connect you. Okay, let's pick up verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotos, and as he passed through, he continued to preach the gospel. Philip never stops preaching the gospel. And he came to Caesarea. As a proselyte or near proselyte, who's someone who's been converted, this Ethiopian knew that baptism would be the expected next step in a Gentile's repentance and conversion. So when they came to water, he said, why? Why couldn't I be baptized here? Philip said, let's go. Let's go. They got out of the chariot. They got in the water. Philip baptized him right then and there. It says the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the man went on rejoicing. He was filled with joy that can only come from the love of God. He didn't miss Philip because he had Jesus. He went back. He went back to Ethiopia, and his tradition tells us he carried the gospel back to Ethiopia and founded the church there. So what is an evangelist? According to the Oxford Dictionary, the definition is this. A person who seeks to convert others to the Christian faith, often or especially by public preaching. I love this chapter about Philip. We saw in the first half of the chapter how Philip preaches to the crowds. Some of us are called to preach to crowds. And then we also see in the second half that God calls us sometimes just to one person, to individuals. Sometimes God's calling us to one person to share Jesus with. Do you think of yourself as an evangelist? Do you consider that the person who led you to Christ, do you think of them as an evangelist? Who in your life today can you be an evangelist to? Who needs to hear the gospel? If Philip had not loved people with Christ's love, he would not have reached across the substantial barriers between the Samaritans and the Jews. It was the same with the Gentiles and the Ethiopians. He didn't care people's backgrounds. He didn't care what people looked like, where they were from, what they believed. He loved them with God's love. So that is my last point today. Let's love people with God's love. Years ago, I heard Andy Stanley teaching on evangelism. And what he said was so simple and profound that it always stuck with me. If you're ever wondering how to share Christ's love with anyone, his simple formula is this. Invest and invite. What does this mean? What does it mean to invest in relationships? It simply means be a friend. My friend Toby, that's what she did. She invested in, my relation, in our relationship. She was a friend to me. She never gave up on me. 
Let people into your life. Let them see how you follow Jesus. Let them see you go through trials and challenges. Be generous with them. Be generous with them with your time and your resources. And when you feel the Spirit moving, invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them into your community, into your community group. Invite them to hang out with you and your Christian friends. Let them see you shine Jesus to others. Walk alongside them. Above all, just love them. Divine appointments await us all if we are obedient to God's leading. That was Philip's experience, and it can be ours too. Let me pray. Oh Lord, may we each be so full of the Spirit, full of the gospel, full of your compassion for people, people who are sinners who need a Savior like like we do. May we each bear your touch today and in the days to come. Please help us to be channels of your grace to all those around us. Thank you for your willingness to use each of us to reach others. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we close today, I'm going to invite our prayer team up to the front. I want to give you the opportunity. If, you, if you're wanting prayer, please come forward during these last two songs. And we'd be happy to pray with you. Thank you for joining us today.